the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. to be sitting down with Erin Helper. Erin Helper is the founder and CEO of The Upside and the leading authority on independent consulting. Since launching The Upside in 2017, Erin has helped thousands of professionals transition from corporate life into consulting to achieve flexibility, autonomy, and a renewed sense of purpose in their careers. Prior to launching The Upside, Erin built a thriving seven-year consulting career where she worked directly with private equity clients across New York City doubling her former full-time earnings while working a fraction of the hours. Erin has been a frequent speaker at Columbia, NYU, Harvard, and Brown, and has been featured as a leading future of work expert on dozens of podcasts, as well as in Forbes, Business Insider, NASDAQ, Crunchbase, and many more. Erin and I talked about knowing your worth, the time boundaries she has found most helpful as a community leader, and how her year of focus transformed her life and her business. We also talked about the most common mistakes she sees early consultants make and what to look into before taking someone's advice. I just know you're going to enjoy my conversation as much as I did and can't wait to hear what you think. Is network on your 2023 to-do list? Hi there, it's Liz. If you're liking our conversation and our approach to personal development, career advancement, and living a life that turns you on, I invite you to join our community, the Girls Club Collective. We are the intentionally intimate personal and professional development community for women who are changing the world. Instead of asking for a seat at the table, we decided to build our own. Like most change agents and rebels with a cause, you don't often have enough hours in the day to change the world and cultivate a strategic network. If overwhelm has become your second language and you're feeling tired of trying to convince your own marketing team to actually read your ESG report, you're in the right place. We know that sometimes trying to make a difference can feel like being that one person out on the dance floor trying to get the party started. And that's why we created the Girls Club Collective. It's where women changing the world organize, and all you have to do is show up as yourself. We are the anti-establishment version of the Boys Club, reimagining ambition, and leading the movement of meaningful work fueled by moxie, strategy, and a little bit of magic. That means you not only gain access to a community of people you need to know, you'll also take a look at how you can grow as a leader, what you really want, and why your dream of living by the beach and working for yourself isn't as crazy as it sometimes feels. By offering monthly peer advisory, salons on timely and relevant topics, networking power hours, and more, the Girls Club Collective is your extended team, your extra brains, and an energizing environment that is geared toward your personal and professional growth. We believe that changing the world is a team sport. 
Join the collective designed for exactly that and use the code PODCAST, that's all caps PODCAST, for 10% off your first year of membership. You can find the link to join us in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you in the collective. Hello, and welcome to another new episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I'm so excited today to be joined by Erin Helper, who is the founder and CEO of The Upside. Erin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really, really excited about this conversation with you. Yay. Oh my gosh. It's so mutual. Um, and I guess maybe to just get started, um, I feel like there's definitely plenty of listeners who are familiar with the upside and the work that you do. But for those who are not, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Erin Halper, and I'm the leader and CEO of The Upside, which is a global community of independent consultants who are scaling their businesses. I love it. Um, Well, I feel like one of my favorite things to talk about on the podcast is really the journey that you've been on to get to the place where we find you today. Um, And really the invitation is to like take up space and tell your story, but would love to know how you came to be here. Um, And again, please like include as many twists and turns as feels aligned. Well, I graduated college in 2001, which was a terrible, terrible year to graduate. It was like zero, zero jobs. Um, my dream job, my what I thought I would be doing, that just basically disappeared. So um, I was living on my sister's couch in New York City, and I had to just look for any job. And that's what I did. I just took any job I could get. And it wasn't a dream job by any stretch, but it taught me a lot. And it led to me working in uh, private equity. So real estate, private equity, um, fund of funds, different alternatives, which is very niche and not something I ever thought I would be doing in a million years. I thought I was going to work at like a big brand and have one of those big offices overlooking Central Park and be all fancy. And that that just never happened because of the circumstances uh, for when I graduated. Built a career in that space. And as you can imagine, it was very high pressure, um, you know, a lot on the line, a lot of money at stake, um, made a lot of money. Um, but once I decided to start my own family, I knew that I had to make a change. And so I decided to consult. About a year later, when I was pregnant with my first son, the doctor said, you're having a boy and there's something wrong with the baby. The good news is, I'll end the story with the happy ending first. He's totally fine. He's um, a thriving sixth grader with no health issues whatsoever, but it did not start out that way. I had already started my consultancy business. So I already had all the flexibility I needed to go in and out of all these constant appointments. He had multiple heart surgeries. Um, We were living at the hospital for weeks at a time. And as I looked around that hospital wing, I saw a lot of kids whose parents weren't there. And I knew it was because they had to work or they had other children to take care of. And I thought to myself, how would I ever be doing this if I had a full-time job? It just would have been impossible. So my timing was very lucky in that way. But it planted the seed 
for really having empathy and really understanding the need for more flexible work options out there. For someone like me who was highly educated, very successful in my field, why shouldn't I be able to work flexibly? Why, why does it have to be you know, eight to six or nothing at all? And this was, of course, pre-COVID. So our views have changed quite a bit since then. So I, I ended up consulting with my clients, same clients pretty much for seven years, had a great consultancy, had a second child. I moved homes twice. I buried a parent, all the things that you need flexibility for. And I was so grateful to have it. Then what happened is I moved to the burbs. So now everybody's commuting back and forth and people were asking me, how in the world are you pull, did you pull off what you pulled off? as if it was some unicorn situation. And I would casually explain to them how to do it and what to do and how to position yourself. I thought that was common knowledge. Uh, apparently not. So <laughs> apparently I had a knack for it. And um, I think it's just that combination of entrepreneurial spirit and, and fast learner and fast failer. And so I decided to start a company to help other people have that same success. And it turned into the community that we are today, which helps global independent co consultants scale their businesses. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for telling us the whole story. I can only imagine that like that moment that you describe of kind of like looking around the waiting room and being like, wait, how like it's like looking at who is there and what's allowing them to be there and then all the constraints that are preventing people from being there. Um, and imagine like just that that's so close to your heart as you've created and grown the upside. And I've been so blown away. I joined the upside in October of last year, and I've just been so blown away by the caliber of leaders in the space. It's like mind boggling, um, <laughs> like who is in this community. I would love to hear just a little bit more about the upside, about like, um, you know, what's included in the upside, like how it's evolved. You started it, I believe, in 2017? Yes, but it wasn't a community. I had the bright idea that um, I would match consultants with clients because I knew that was their biggest pain point. Everybody's like, how do you get clients? How do you get clients? And I was like, well, I'm very good at getting clients. So why don't I get the clients and you just show up and be your awesome self? Not only did I hate the business model, but apparently there is not a line of corporations waiting to pay a lot of money for consultants. So that, that <laughs> line was very short. And they were at the same, at that time, there were a lot of platforms coming out that were more like cheaper talent. And I think that's where people's minds were. We're like, well, we don't want to pay $250, $300 an hour for somebody. We want to pay 50. And I just knew I didn't want to go into that game at all. And um, I happen to have been part of a community that I love and adore run by a woman I love and adore, um, Dreamers and Doers. And I went to her and I said, I said, her name's Geisha Haas. I said, Geisha, what do you what do you think? What do you think I should do at this point? It's either close it up or do something else. And she encouraged me to to start a community. So um, it started as a Facebook group, which I'm not even on Facebook anymore, um, but that is how it started. And then as soon as um, new technology came out to support communities like mine, we went on to Circle and never looked back. And, you know, it started slowly. You know the story, slow and steady. We never tried to mass market. We never tried to uh, 
scale fast. We never raise outside capital. But every quarter since the day this community started, which was January of 2019, every quarter we have grown. We've never lost money. We've never slowed our growth. But it, it's definitely the, the tortoise strategy. <laughs> it's been slow growth, but very steady and very sustainable growth. Oh my goodness. Well, um, I so love hearing that. I didn't know that about Geisha, uh, but I'm actually also in Dreamers and Doers. She's been on the podcast and she was a huge help and mentor um, as I was founding the Girls Club Collective. So I love that that she was part of like that conversation behind the shift to a community business model. Yeah. Well, I mean, people like me who are in community and like her back then in community we're biased because we love it. So, so she was like, this would make a really good community. It's super niche and you have my blessing. And um, I had just had a, such a great experience in her community that I thought, well, yeah, I think, I think I need to bring these people together. I'm giving them all the same advice. Very, very similar. Like, And then I met two people separately that I thought should know each other. So then I started connecting people. And I'm like, she's like, that's a community, Erin. You need to start a community. And you have to remember at the time, the word community as a business, people would laugh at it. Geisha and I have like had like laughs over this, that people be like, oh, that's a nice hobby. Oh, <laughs> do, you, do full-time. We're like, that is a full-time, it is. <laughs> and multiple today, full-time jobs. <laughs> it is full-time, what do you mean? And I, I think the business model is just very new to a lot of people and calling it community, like a paid community, that's a concept that's kind of new. I mean, coaching co- cohorts have been around for a while, but community was something that people couldn't quite get their minds around as a business model. And of course, fast forward after the pandemic, now everyone understands what it is to the point where there's actually VC money being put into it. I mean, we never thought in a million years that would ever happen. Like, like people, they used to like laugh. They're like, that's what, what you have like a club, a bit, a community, you know, and now it's people are paying attention because it is a real business model and it's a way to reach and impact and connect a lot of people um, under a common umbrella who are going through a common journey together. Totally. And I think it's like, especially in our, like, I don't even know if it's safe to call this like the post-pandemic world, but whatever stage of the pandemic world we're in right now, (laughs) I feel like um, over the past few years, we've all just really come to like recognize and appreciate the extent to which like community is so essential for so many of us and can be such a game changer on so many different fronts if you're looking to accomplish something or just like feel less alone or I mean I could go on and on but there's just I think such a new appreciation for why community now than I imagine it was there was when you were getting started absolutely and there's more value to it now so um if you've ever looked into the pricing models of other communities, if you've ever done price comparison, you'll see that everyone's up their game big time uh, pricing wise. Like there aren't a whole lot of, you know, $35 a month things out there anymore because it costs a lot to run community. And because the value of what it brings is so rich, the ROI of a few, even just a few good connections is very, very valuable. When you're put in the room with people you wouldn't have known otherwise. And you form relationships with those people, even friendships. 
there is, that, that is priceless, literally priceless. And whether it's through my own communities that I'm involved in and I pay for, or through the upside, there are people forming real and deep and meaningful relationships with people that don't even live in their state, let alone their country. And they feel very, very connected to people. And I think that there's just a ton of value to that. Plus, of course, all the learning and the leveling up and everything else these communities do. Absolutely. And I feel like often it's like almost easier to explain because we're more used to it, the value of the learning and the leveling up than the value of the relationships, that the relationships are truly so often the thing that really move the needle. Well, what if I said to you, you know, sometimes I think about this. What if I said to you, how much value, monetary value, how much would you pay me to introduce you to someone who will end up being a lifelong friend and who will open two to three really important doors to you, for you? It's a great question. The number that pops into my head immediately, and granted, this is like coming from my own experience and like level of comfort investing myself, but I'd say like at least probably $10,000. Okay. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, (laughs) it's like what, like that's what's happening. And when when you join the right community, it's not that any community is better than the other. It's that they're better fits for you than the other. So that's what we're getting when we join a community that's the right fit for us and for our goals is, you know, that, that type of connection, that type of relationship, relationships that keep on giving and even just getting advice from the right person that can completely change how you run your business. What is that worth? You know, that's worth a lot. So I think, and I hope that people now are starting to understand and put a monetary value on putting all the right people in the same room. Because that's, as community leaders, that's what we're doing. That's our job. And I think like so often, you know, (laughs) I think it can be so human to think like, oh, I can like organize people on my own or like independent of a community. And and certainly I know a lot of people who do that. Um, But the value of having someone who is the leader of a community, like do all the work to create the space, to create the rules, to create the structure um, where that can happen, I think is something that people are really starting, I hope and believe to appreciate. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so too, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious, like, what was something along this journey um, with the upside that's happened that maybe surprised you or that you didn't expect? I think, and I've told you this before, but I, I'll repeat it for your listeners. The most unexpected aspect was how much overhead it takes to run a community business. I think a lot of people who aren't in the business are like, oh, it's just like, you know, it's like so easy. That's They send out some emails and like they look at some applications and they process some money and then they like chime in here and there, maybe create some events. I mean, we have three, almost now four members of our team. And this isn't even anyone that does marketing. This is all internal people. This isn't like to get members. This is like ops people. You know, there's a lot of overhead involved in running a really smooth community and one that you, you know, that that's high end and that's high caliber. And that is something I did not expect. Um, I thought we were going to charge, you know, not that much and be as accessible as possible and get 
a bunch of people and I started doing the math. I was like, ooh, like you know, if we charge like $38 a month and then we have like a thousand members, like that's a good income for me. I didn't think that 30 of it would be going to <laughs> overhead. So we raised the price a lot um, very quickly. And I know I've given you that advice. And I give anyone that advice who is building a community, you know, make sure you understand how much it's going to cost to run because it outgrows you and you alone real, real fast. Absolutely. And I so appreciated getting that advice as I was like figuring out everything with the Girls Club Collective from you and um, Tatiana, who's also been on the podcast um, and a few other people of like, you want the you want people who join to appreciate the value of what they're joining like from the beginning and also like you want to be able to like sustain this thing that you're pouring your heart and soul and all this like time and energy and like building a team around and the reality is like that costs a lot more than i think we often think yes and fun funny story um at one of our open houses which we hold four times a year and people can come and meet me and ask me questions about the community and it's a really really fun event um during the Q&A one one of the guests said to me where does the fee go i said i'm sorry what what do you mean well like okay the fee that we pay to be in the upside like what is it going towards i was like okay i was like do, do you want to see like my PL? Like, what is it that you're asking me? Like, are you, do you think I'm just like pocketing that whole thing? And even if I did, why is that like a bad thing? So I just realized that you have to charge a lot for the value and the overhead. Uh, and I, and I talked about that, you know, it's people in our community are upping their game by six figures and more every single year as a direct result of our community. We've calculated $30 million in economic advancement that they wouldn't have had otherwise as a collective because of the upside, either through relationships, learning, referrals, and everything in between. And there's a price to that. It's not a price to get access to something exclusive. It's a price to join something where like-minded people are in the same room, which is very valuable, where you're meeting really good people who understand your business and you're learning about things that are very specific to your business model and you're going to up your game. And there's, there's a value to that, that I personally think is priceless, but that's because I'm biased. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you, but I also think like we show up in direct proportion to our investments and, you know, it's also important, I think, to price things in a way that people feel like they have some skin in the game that they feel like, oh, like this makes me uncomfortable enough that I want to show up for it. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> well, I'm curious. I, you know, something I've heard from a number of different community leaders is just the, the many ways that leading a community has really informed and influenced their own personal and professional development. And I'm curious, like, how has that looked for you? I would say two things. Um, well, three, I don't know. There's so many things, but I'll just, I'll just do, I'll just do two. Um, one is confidence as a CEO. I was never the CEO of any company before, and I never led big teams, um, in my past corporate life. So this was really my first experience building teams, leading a team and leading a big group of people, you know, in a community. And I learned how to step into my 
power as a leader and as a CEO and make decisions with conviction instead of second guessing everything and not knowing what I was doing and kind of feeling like I didn't know what I was doing to being like product market fit stage is over. Like we know who we are and we know who we aren't. I know who I am and I know who I'm not. And, and I'm comfortable with that and I'm confident in that. So I think that was a really big part of it. The other thing with community that anyone in community or leading a community would tell you or will learn is that you get a lot of feedback from your members because they want you to do well. They give you feedback because they want it to be the best it can be because it's their place too. It's like, it's like if you go to your favorite restaurant and you want to return you know, you might leave a review that's like, okay, they could improve on, you know, the apps or whatever. You don't leave a Yelp review if you don't plan to go back to the restaurant, believe it or not, or if you don't want to. It's a little bit like that in community. People really want it to be the best it can be. And so you do get a lot of feedback. And I think I've really improved and learned how to filter out the noise and focus on what I know is good and what I know is true and kind of just you know, keep my focus and, and be a little less influenced or impacted by the voices of one or two louder people, you know, trusting the community as a whole and learning how to make decisions that are best for the whole community versus a few individuals. Um, that is something definitely I have learned. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine I have not gotten into the feedback stage of, of the girls club collective yet, but even just in the past three years of like the other micro communities within my business, I feel like learning how to receive advice has, is a, it's a journey (laughs) and how to take yourself out of it too. And like, appreciate like, you know, some of it is like great like advice to take and some of it is coming from a place that's like not the place you we want to take advice from and learning how to filter all of that and not spiral. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think also um learning boundaries is so important. Um especially as a community leader because you're constantly being asked for things outside of the parameters. And you have to have boundaries because if you, it's like children, if you let them do it once, then everybody, then they all want to do it. And so you have to think every decision you make, it's about, well, if I do this once, can I do it 200 times? And if the answer is no, you have to put a boundary around it. Um, I, I started putting a lot of boundaries um, towards my time, um, which is of course our most precious resource. And that is something I that is something I wish I had learned a lot earlier, to be honest. Boundaries around my time. I'm one person, you are one person, and we want to give so much. And it's sort of like the oxygen mask situation. It's like I can't give if I'm like starving for air. So when I got to that point where I was kind of drowning, I I drew the line and I said, I, I've got to have more boundaries around my time, which funny enough, gave me more time with members, which is what I wanted. So it's very, it, it doesn't make sense. I know when I'm saying it like that, but it, it, it worked. 
Yeah, well, and I, I, I feel like I, I understand what you mean. And boundaries are something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, like a lot, a lot. Um, and I'm curious, like, are there any specific boundaries, um, either around your time or other boundaries that you have found most helpful in reclaiming that time to be able to pour it into what brings you the most joy or the most value or what moves the needle most for you? Yes. Well, this is probably, some of this is going to sound quite unpopular to be honest, but it's just the truth. I no longer do any kind of phone calls or meetings that are like, get to know you. um, How can we work together? Or we have a similar audience or um, they just have never gone anywhere. Quite honestly, it took me a long time to learn that. And they did take up space on my calendar, this get to know you calls. And it's unfortunate because I know there are people people I'm probably missing out on, but I just literally nothing ever came to fruition from any of those phone calls. So I just decided that was one boundary. Another boundary is I do not give free advice, period. If you want advice, join the upside. And then you have access to me at office hours, or you can pay for an hour of my time, you know, and, and I feel very strongly about that. You know, we have members paying a lot of money to tap into my brain and the membership thought leadership. And, you know, so that that's another boundary. Um, And then I also have boundaries around who can contact me about what, you know, we have a staff of four, almost four people now. We're, I say almost four, we're hiring somebody. So we have a staff of um, almost four plus me. There are other people to contact for customer service and anything anything a member needs. So I really put boundaries around what I'll respond to and then what I'll forward to our team to respond to. Because quite honestly, I can't respond to all of that stuff. And so I have to put boundaries around. It's all about time. It's really about time. I mean, I would put I put boundaries around prices too. Like we've never um, discounted our membership for anyone for any reason. Um, I just feel really strongly that we're undercharging for the value we bring, and I I think it's a steal for what people get. And I believe that if your business isn't in a place where you can afford the fee, it's probably not the right fit right now anyway. I mean, you're in it, so you probably see what I mean. But I mean, if when everyone's so successful or or so ambitious and driven, it can feel not awesome if you're struggling to be around those people. So I think you have to be at a certain place where you can afford the two or three thousand dollars a year it costs to be a member. Totally, because otherwise, I could see how it could just be, yeah, overwhelming. Um, And it is, it's like an intimidating room to be in, but in a good way and like a growth way. Um, But I could see how at a certain point, it's like the things you need to focus on to get things to a place where you can, where your business can hold that expense are are not the same things. They're not the same things. And we, anytime we, um, if someone asks me about pricing or they can't afford it, I have a whole list of other communities that we recommend that are less expensive, that you know they're they're not the upside, but they're they're they don't have that higher price point. And um, you know I'm happy to send business to other communities and support them. And and I'm I have a lot of boundaries around what we charge, and I feel really 
really strongly about the the value that we bring for that price. I love it. Well, and I know that like knowing your worth and like standing in your worth is something that has also been really important to you in your journey, both as a consultant and now as the leader of the upside. Um, what advice would you have for anyone listening who um, is maybe like feeling all the feelings <laughs> as they hear the phrase, know your worth? Because I know um, for so many women in my world, I know it's been a journey for me and I know it's been a journey for a lot of people around me. Well, Liz, you know that I'm very tactical, right? So um, this is a this is less about mindset and more about data. You know, we have in the upside what we call a what people charge database. It is not a fancy name. It's called the what people charge database. It's got thousands of data points from our members on all anonymous on what they've charged for all different types of projects and retainers with different types of clients and in different industries and in different business stages. And when you have that kind of data and you can see what other people are charging for the same services in the same sector, there is no quicker way to know your worth than seeing how that other people are getting yeses for that. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And I know you've seen that too, and, and you have your own community business. I would bet a million dollars that you didn't just price your community without doing research first and seeing what others were charging. I mean, I bet you looked at probably dozens of communities and saw what others were charging because... And I bet it was you ended up charging more than maybe you originally would have if you didn't know what others were charging. And it's it's really understanding the intangible value that you bring to the table, your pedigree, all the years of experience and knowledge that you bring to the table, your personality, the ease of working with you, getting access to you. That all has so much value. And for anyone who's a consultant who's listening to this and going in to pitch different clients, something that takes you five seconds can still be a million-dollar idea. And I think we undervalue that all the time. We still attach value to time, and it should be value impact, value Mm -hmm. ROI. You know, what ROI does that idea give you or that contact that I connected you to when you hired me, what value does that have for you? What did it lead to? It's a harder thing to explain, but it's super, super important for knowing your worth. It's not just, I spent 30 hours on this project. That's not, that doesn't tell us anything because you can spend, I was very efficient when I was a consultant like I, I mean, I, I was, I could do that stuff in my sleep. Like I was just really, really fast. And I was like, why should I be penalized for being really good at what my work? Why would I be, why would I penalize myself for that? I should be rewarded for that. And that's why I only worked 20, 25 hours a week when I was consulting because I was so efficient at it that I was like, well, whether I, it takes me 30 hours or, you know, 30 days, who cares? It's done and it was done the right way and it made an impact. So I think getting out of that concept of time equals value is the first step. And then doing your research with the right crowd. So that's another thing I see people do. That's a big mistake. They 
follow people, listen to people who they don't know for sure with 100% certainty are successful. Mm. I see it all the time. I see it even with members. They'll show me somebody on LinkedIn. Oh, I want to do it this way. This person's very successful. How do you know they're successful? <laughs> well, you know, they post all the time on LinkedIn. Da, da, da. You have no idea if those people are successful. Make sure you're collecting your pricing data and your strategy data from people that you know are really successful. <laughs> that's, another, <laughs> that's another piece of advice for knowing your worth. Totally. Well, yeah, I feel like the two things that that brought up for me are, are one, I think also if you are doing like, I know that there's like many schools of thought on like whether to do um, like to ask about price and like interviewing dream clients. But I think also related to like making sure that people are successful, making sure if you do ask anyone for input on pricing, that it's like the exact person that you would want to say yes to this um, and not just like Joe on the street for input on pricing. There's a lot of people. I see a lot of people on LinkedIn who are doling out um, doling out advice for consultants or freelancers. And I it scares me because I'm like, this is not good advice. This is bad advice. This is advice that's going to work technically and it will keep you small. Like it's not pushing people forward. It's just kind of keeping them in a container. And it's upsetting because... People like me and a few other um, of my peers who are in the business and have been doing this for many, many, many years, we know, we all share this. It's like we all have the same advice, just in different ways, and we feel really strongly about it. So when I see someone on LinkedIn talking about the consulting business or freelance business and the advice is not awesome, it's very frustrating. (laughs) <laughs> Be careful whose advice you're listening to. And if, if you, the best way to decide is listening to the advice of people who are not just focused on one industry and not just focused on one skill set. So if it's a, a, someone who only talks about marketers, for example, you want, you want the variety and the diversity of thought leadership because that's what really levels you up. When it's kind of singular, it, it keeps everybody in a box. It's like, well, this is how it is when you're a marketer. But the marketers, for example, in the upside have learned how to think differently from the fractional CFOs and from the COOs and, you know, from the tech people. Like they, you know, everyone learns from the others and it levels up their game big time. So um, make sure you're listening to the right people. Absolutely. Well, and I think the other thing like that really struck me is in talking about knowing your worth and really like value-based pricing or transformation-based pricing is like, I'm not sure if you've seen the meme on the internet of like going to an electrician and it's like actually cutting the wire is like $1, but knowing which wire to cut is $999 or whatever the actual number is. And so um, it's not about the time, it's about the outcome. That's correct. The impact for sure. Um, Well, I know that focus was like a big word for you last year as you have continued to to grow and scale the upside. Um, How did you like arrive at the word focus for last year and how has focus supported you in really building a business that works for your life? Well, I did a lot of work on my business in 2021. Um, I was frazzled after a couple of years of the pandemic. I was you know, on a hamster wheel, swimming, you know, without 
any shore to swim to. It, it just was, I'd kind of gotten to the point where I knew I needed to take a step back and get off the hamster wheel and reevaluate how I was doing things because I knew something had to change because I wasn't satisfied. The community was growing and it was doing well, but I, for myself, needed something to shift. I hadn't stepped into that CEO role yet. I still was looking at myself as a founder and it was time to move from founder to CEO. And I never really thought of it that way until I did the work and I made an investment and it was a big investment, um, made an investment in a strategy team. It was do or die type of investment. It was like, this is it. Hail Mary, like this, this needs to work. And it was a team I trusted. I knew them for years already. And so I, I, I felt 100% certain that they would be the ones to take us to the next level. And after six months of doing all of that hard work, part of what they came up with was the need to focus. That really came from our strategy team. I was, first of all, I didn't have enough boundaries in place for outsiders looking for my time outside of the upside, wanting my time. I and most importantly, I was spreading myself way too thin on lead gen. And that's because there's so many strategies, dozens of lead gen strategies that work. They all work. So my thought was, well, I need to do a little bit of Facebook marketing. I need to do LinkedIn. I need to do ads. I need to do, I need to speak at conferences. I need to do some PR. I need to do, da, 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 da. and it was like shiny object syndrome. And also FOMO, like I need to be part of all this stuff and I need to be doing all of this. I was also, you know, I, I would scroll on Instagram and of course, all I get are ads for other people selling how to do X, Y, Z for your business, which again, gave me so much FOMO and agita that I was like, and I didn't realize it. And so I shut off Facebook, canceled it all together, deleted completely. I shut down our Instagram page. I just put it, I mean, it's still there, but it's not alive. Like we don't post on it. It's just a brochure at this point. And now my Instagram is full of all the things I love, travel, how to cook this great meal, some fashion, my friends. I'm like, it's fantastic. No more of these ads blasting at me. And I learned how to focus our marketing efforts on really what was moving the needle the most, which was referrals. And the strategy team outlined, look, here, here's the data of how all of your members have come in to date. This is like 80% are referrals. You need to double down and just work on that and, and LinkedIn and that's it and just leave everything else aside. And I think I just needed the permission to do that, the permission to stay focused and put on my blinders. Because once I did that, we doubled EBITDA the next year. I mean, absolutely took off from there. It was a total game changer. So yeah, focus. Focus was my year, 2022. That was the first year that we actually implemented everything the strategy team came up with. And it was a game changer. Focusing, I wish I had done it a lot earlier. I was all over the place, pulled in a million directions on a million different platforms. And it was super toxic. 
and not good for business, quite honestly. It's just so, it's so refreshing to hear because I do think so often, I mean, as you said earlier, like there's just so much advice out there for like how to do this for your business, how to do that for your business and like really figuring out like what actually moves the needle in your own business and like just ignoring the rest. I mean, so much easier said than done. (laughs) It is, but when you look at the data, you know, if you have a hundred members collectively that have ever come in or applied and you start looking at the data and you're like, hmm, like this is how they're coming to us. Like they knew a member or they heard about us on LinkedIn. You know, that's your cue to double down, not go in another direction and start doing like Facebook ads. You know, I mean, this is, it sounds so logical now, but at the time, you know, I'm getting bombarded with ads of how I'm going to grow my business and all And it was just so much noise, so much noise. And it was hard enough to make decisions on a day-to-day basis. And then with all the noise coming in, it just, it was very overwhelming. And now I have total control of my calendar. My calendar is beautiful. (laughs) I have a lot of time for what I love, which is being with members and, and having relationships with them and building relationships with them, them doing podcast interviews with you. Um, this is something that, that I, I really didn't have a lot of time for last year. Mm, I love that. That's like so refreshing to hear. And yeah, I think what's also so interesting is like the things that you have chosen to focus on, it sounds like, are also the things that like were bringing you the most joy from the beginning, right? I think so often the things that uh, move the needle most are actually also our favorite things to do, like provide an amazing member experience. So your members like refer people or show up as a thought leader on LinkedIn. Those are probably some of the things that felt more aligned and the other stuff just had to go to make more time. Yeah, they did feel more aligned. Um, in fact, it's funny you say that because we're actually, I'm about to put out a new um, free guide. We haven't put out a free guide in a really long time, but it's all about choosing the strategies, the lead gen strategies that are most aligned with who you are and and what you want. So for example, you know, speaking at conferences, I don't speak at a lot of conferences because I don't want to get on a plane and travel. I don't want to be away from my family to speak. Now, if it was a big conference and I was paid, okay, fine. But for the most part, you know, I turn those down if they're not local, if they're not in New York City or the local area. You know, picking what's aligned. I see so many people are like, oh, I really struggle with writing on LinkedIn. Well, if you're not a writer and that you 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 really you're spending so much time on this, pick a different lead gen <laughs> strategy. They all work. So it's just a matter of picking two or three and sticking with them and diving diving deep into each of them. Absolutely. Well, and I'm curious, one of the things that you mentioned earlier in our conversation was this idea of like just well, all the bad advice that you're seeing out there for <laughs> consultants. And so um, for anyone who's listening right now, who's maybe like just getting started in consulting, um, is there like one or two kind of like nuggets of wisdom that you would offer them in like just getting like their business off the ground, like very early stage? Yeah, I would say the... Well, I'll I'll go with the mistakes I commonly see versus other people's bad advice and what not to do. Um, The mistakes I commonly see are people don't have their 10-word pitch down. So when I ask you, what do you do for a living? If I met you at a party, I'm like, oh, what kind of work do you do? That answer should be ready to go. And it should be very clear without being cutesy or flowery. 
very clear what you do and who you do it for so that this random person at the party knows who to connect you to. If people don't understand what you do and they don't understand who you do it for, it, it, you're, you're leaving a lot of doors closed. You're not optimizing the opportunity. To me, that is the foundation. First step is what do you do? And a lot of people can't answer that question or they can't answer it well. They get very cutesy, very flowery, very marketing-y lingo, and it just doesn't land well with people. Just be really straightforward. Um, another big mistake I see people make is in the process of discovery to contract to work. So discovery calls, how to conduct them, how to conduct those prospect meetings, and then how to close them. That's You, you can get 100 clients in the pipeline, but if you can't close them, then what's the point? So I see a lot of people getting ghosted. They give away too much. So they give away ideas, thinking that'll like tease the client a little bit. It does not. It just waters down your value tremendously. It's never, ever, once ever a good idea, period. Um, that is also some bad advice I saw out there. Like, oh, tell the client a little bit about, you know, show them like some ideas. I'm like, no. I've seen so many people get ghosted after doing that. Hundreds, I would say. Another thing is that you're in that prospecting stage. You are running the meeting. You are the boss of your company. It is not an interview for a job. You are not there to defend yourself or prove yourself or answer all of their questions. You are there to ask them questions. You are asking the prospective client questions that whole meeting to try to better understand what it is they need and what the sense of urgency is. It sets the tone, you know, you are the boss, you are the CEO of your consultancy, even if it's just one person. So that is a big mistake I see. People go in like a job interview. The other mistake I see, oh my God, there's so many lists, but I, <laughs> I have to just, if, you, if, if there's consultants listening and they get anything out of this, also make sure you discuss pricing verbally with the client. Don't let them see pricing for the first time in a proposal that tends to never go well because it's never going to be or rarely going to be the price they think it's going to be. So make sure you have that conversation and say, does that work for you? If so, I'll go ahead and start on the proposal. Yes or no, you know, does that work for you? And, and see what they say. And if there is pushback, then you can address it verbally right then and there instead of spending three hours on a proposal and then getting ghosted. <sighs> so... Oh my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure we could have a whole separate podcast episode on just this topic. Thank you so much for sharing those. Mm -hmm. um, they really resonated and are consistent with a lot of what I've heard in the upside, I would say over the past like six months or so. Um, well, I know I, I could talk to you forever. I want to be respectful of your time. There's a couple more questions I want to ask and then also um, give space for where people can like find and follow and keep up with you. Um, but because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, my favorite question to ask is if you could change one thing about the world, what is the one thing that you would like to change? Oh, give me that magic wand. I will wave it around and make it so that every human being in this world has access to quality education. Equal, equal access around the world to quality education because I think that's where 
most of the world's problems are stemming from, quite honestly. So if everyone had in this world had access to quality education, I think we'd be in a much better place. Hmm. Definitely. I so agree with that. Um, well, and the other question that's sort of a standard question here is um, as someone who is a big fan of the inspirational post-it note and surrounded by quite a few at the moment, uh, I have dreams that one day we'll like print a deck of all the like inspirational reminders from our guests. Um, so if you got one Aaron Helper <laughs> post-it note, um, what's like the short message or reminder that you would most want to share? No one is you and that is your superpower. Hmm. I love it. It's amazing. Um, well, this has been so much fun. Um, again, I could talk to you for hours, but uh, want to let you go. But before we do, um, what's the best way for people to like keep up with you to learn more about the upside? Like, where can people get more of like both your magic and the magic of the upside? Oh well, thank you for asking. Our website is betheupside.com. So it's b e the upside.com, and we have tons of free resources. Um, that we've gotten a lot of great feedback on, including a pricing guide, everyone. So including the pricing guide, um, a lot of free resources. Also, our newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, is weekly. And we give so much advice, all the types of advice that we talked about today, focus, boundaries, pricing, um, building relationships with clients, how to handle clients, all of that. Um, comes in through our weekly newsletter. So if you're on that, you'll receive that. And all anytime we drop a new free guide, which is once every six or 12 months, you'll have first access to that as well. Also, I like connecting with people on LinkedIn. So if you um, want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm one of the only Aaron helpers. Um, so connect with me on LinkedIn and tell me that you um, found me through this podcast and I'll connect with you. Oh, I love it. Well, and I also will just put in a plug. One, I have shared the pricing guide with so many people. I found it so helpful. And also, um, I think that you, there's a freebie that's like how to supercharge your bio, um, which also I have recommended to so many people, both people who are consultants and people who aren't, who just need a bio update. Um, it's a really great resource. So really encourage you to check both of those out. Yeah. And the bio resource, you know, as you know, it's not just about the bio. It's how you think about yourself, how you think about the value that you bring. There's an it, it, there's a nuance and there's there's a underlying um, mindset shift that happens when you rewrite your bio in the right way, and you 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 look down at it, you go, wow, that's me. Okay, I never spoke about myself that way, and that is all true. I just never thought to say it that way. And wow, I sound pretty awesome. Like I sound like a rock star because you are a rock star. So definitely rewrite that bio. You're welcome. Everybody here, welcome to download that guide. It's for free. Um, it's awesome. And I want everyone to talk about themselves and see themselves as the rock stars that they are. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, thank you so much for making time this morning, Erin. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm flattered. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is Liz.Best. That's L-A-S dot B-E-S-T. 
or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.